Life Audio. Hello and welcome to Kainos Project. I'm Dale. I am Tamara. And we're here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings. Well, I recently came across a story in which a pastor came under fire for some comments he made about autism during a sermon on deliverance from demon oppression. So that's the subject line. And uh, it goes downhill from there. So this pastor's name is Mike Morrow from Beulah Church in Richland, Missouri. And he was holding a Wednesday night service, uh, like a Q&A on deliverance ministry. And he was talking about how physical ailments are a sign of demonic oppression. And he said this, quote, If someone has a physical ailment and you cast that demon out, you might have to pray for some things to be fixed. Let's talk about one. Let's talk about autism. And as you might imagine, it went downhill from there. And he said, I know a minister who has seen lots of kids that are autistic, that he cast that demon out, and they were healed, and then he had to pray, and their brains were rewired, and they were fixed. And then he went on to, to say this of, of autism. If it's not demonic, then we have to say that God made them that way. Why does my kid have autism? Well, either the devil's attacked them, he's brought this infirmity upon them, he's got them right where he wants them, and or God just doesn't like them very much, and he made them that way. Well, my God doesn't make junk. And this guy, he went on to clarify that he meant that autism was junk and not children who are experiencing or have been diagnosed with autism are junk. Uh, But that clarification only came after a public outcry uh, and calls for his resignation from his position on his local school board. Uh, And he did agree to step down from the school board uh, after just the the outrage in the community. Uh, But he went on to tell his church that he doesn't regret what he said uh, because he believes that uh, children who are living with autism uh, aren't just neurodivergent, but they are actually afflicted by an evil spirit that conceivably you could pray it away or cast it out uh, and they wouldn't be on the spectrum anymore. And what's wild about this is that this actually isn't the first time I've seen this kind of thing before. Last year, Tamara, have you heard of uh, Greg Locke? Yes, I have. Yeah, so Greg Locke, he was on this whole thing. He was doing like a series on deliverance ministry, and he came under fire for you know for good reason uh, when he likewise suggested that uh, autism was uh, demon oppression. He said, quote, there ain't no such diagnosis in the Bible, end quote, as autism. And he also said, I'm telling you, your kid could be demonized and attacked, but your doctor calls it autism. And again, this was a sermon... Uh, given on deliverance ministry. And so obviously this is troubling, uh, and it's troubling that it seems to be something of a shared sentiment among folks who are involved in deliverance ministry, uh, that autism is the result of demonic activity. Uh, So I thought that we would talk about that today. I figured we'd talk about uh, deliverance ministry, just to touch on that a little bit. Uh, And deliverance ministry, it's certainly more common in more charismatic circles than in, you know, broadly mainstream uh, evangelical circles. Uh, But then I thought we'd also talk a little bit about uh, illness, demons, miracles. We know that all of these things are real, uh, but how do we grapple with figuring out what's what? So that's what I want to talk about today, but we'll dive into that in just a moment. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. 
we have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Okay, so there's been something of a disturbing trend among Christian leaders who practice deliverance ministry, and that is that some of them have been claiming that autism is the result of demon oppression. So the claim is that if your child is diagnosed with autism or some other uh, uh, neurodivergent uh, condition, uh, that that is just a modernized way of explaining the fact that they are being oppressed by a demon. Uh, But before we go any further, Tamara, how do you respond to something like that when someone makes that claim? As kindly as I can. (laughs) Without being... Given the circumstances. Without being outraged and upset and uh, concerned about the lack of understanding people have to like very serious issues in our society and we are seeing more um, kids diagnosed with autism than before and I don't think that means it didn't exist before I think that means like we just didn't understand what was happening um, to those children and when the argument is made that we don't see that in scripture I always think that's a pretty weak argument of why something um, doesn't exist just because it wasn't written word for word in scripture right yeah and um, it's also, I've found just the rhetoric around it has been really denigrating to people who are neurodivergent. That if um, you are uh, differently abled in terms of your neurology, then that must mean that you're demon oppressed. And like these preachers will like backtrack and say, like, but I'm, I'm not saying that the person isn't valuable. But like at the same time, they kind of are in a lot of ways that their unique contribution to their community in this world is null and void because of some type of demonic activity, supposed uh, demonic activity that's going on, uh, it, you know, in their life. Um, in a follow up to the criticism, this guy, Murrow, he said that, you know, he said, you know, no one would bat an eye if I said that cancer was junk. But because I said autism was junk, uh, I've been receiving criticism. Like, what's your kind of response to that? He's kind of saying like, oh, like, oh, are we not supposed to want people to be uh, completely, uh, you know, healthy? Uh, What would be your response to that? Um, Again, I'm trying to be as kind as I can. Let it rip. Well, no, because I think it's important to have these conversations in as like (laughs) – Uh, least hostile of a setting as we could possibly have them in and uh, just bashing people who are saying this isn't exactly fair since uh, there are a lot of people who hear these preachers and they actually believe that what they're saying is truth and it's you know it's 
something that's been revealed to us within scripture. Uh, but the comparison of cancer to autism is also just a misunderstanding of what autism is. And I think when you want to just throw blanket statements over any kind of issue happening um, within someone's body, you really haven't even tried to understand and become curious about what is autism. Obviously, cancer is something uh, that's happening to you, and it's slowly in many forms like causing you to deteriorate, but that's not the same truth for autism. Like people can continue to live and even thrive as best they can within our society having autism, where cancer is slowly killing you. Right. Yeah. There's no, the difference between cancer and being on the spectrum is that being on the spectrum isn't a terminal disease that prevents you from living a long, fruitful, uh, right. productive, fulfilling life. It might life. look different, right? Someone with autism, their their life is going to look different than somebody who doesn't have autism, but that doesn't automatically mean that they're uh, dealt a terminal illness the way that we no cancer is. Yeah, and I think also too like um like putting a stigma on that uh like the way that someone sees the world, putting a stigma on the way that they uh have perceived things and the way they interact with things and the way that they communicate um is much different than saying that, you know, a tumor that someone has is is hampering them. Uh, like, because there's no stigma to having cancer. Like, there's no shame that would be heaped on. No one gets bullied for having cancer, but there is a a long history in our society of uh, people being bullied, um, violence uh, being perpetrated against them because they are on the spectrum. So we're talking about two fundamentally different things. So to to, right. to say that someone who is on the spectrum is demonized necessarily, uh, just out of hand, um, is to uh, basically stand in the same tradition of misunderstanding and discrimination that uh, our society in just very recent times has barely begun to move past as we have begun to understand um, uh, neurodivergency uh, more in a more sophisticated manner, really in more recent times. Right, and the fact that we are in a time when understanding these is uh, the best it has been since the beginning of time. Like, I think it, it's all the more reason for uh, preachers and pastors to try and become a little bit educated within the subject that they're talking about instead of just throwing out claims without any type of understanding about what they're really saying. Yeah. Have you had much experience with, like, deliverance ministry or deliverance uh, preachers, um, I haven't had any di- like direct experience uh, with them, but have coming into this conversation, had you had much uh, encounters or knowledge of you know deliverance ministry out there? Um, so when you label it deliverance ministry, like I don't know if the preachers that I've come in contact with say like, oh, this is my deliverance ministry versus uh, growing up in Assemblies of God, there was often this language of like delivering someone from um, the hold of the demonic realm. 
right? Mm-hmm. So that was certainly part of my church experience to some degree. Um, it wasn't happening within every service, but I don't know if they would have ever said like, this is a deliverance ministry. You know what I mean? Mm, did, were there ever like claims of like someone who said I was demonized and I had some kind of ailment and now it's gone or that type of thing? Uh, yeah. I mean, people who said they were demon possessed and then there would be like a prayer um, of driving out that demon in service or something. And then, um, yeah, that was kind of it. Oh, okay. But it wasn't ever a physical ailment that you could see to confirm like you had it. Now you don't type of thing. Oh, okay. It was more it someone was more who like was kind of acting. Thing. Yeah. Uh, maybe somebody who was acting a little bit crazy. Um, and when it was happening in the church services I was involved in, it was oftentimes somebody who was like really out of pocket, um, not um, sitting down and listening to the sermon. Like they were kind of screaming and yelling and um, there was like a lot of physical excitement. And then at that point, the preacher would like start casting out this demon and usually had people around him for the safety of others and things like that. Hmm. Yeah. I've never had really any experience. Uh, oh that. yeah. I mean, I can remember like two or three very specifically, um, in, within church service. I mean, one was in a church parking lot and yeah, like a whole bunch of elders and leaders came around and were like trying to, uh, cast the demon out of this youth student that was acting crazy. Hmm. So, and, um, did you ever like learn like what the surrounding situation of that person was, or was it more just kind of like they kind of came out of nowhere and that was the deal? Yeah. I never was close enough to the situations to have then heard follow-up stories or what was the background behind that person or knowing any of their history. Um, it was usually just seeing this moment happening and unfolding within a church service and, uh, even being in an AG church where uh, there's oftentimes language of um, like a demon possession and the devil and all of that, it's a little bit more talked about within AG churches than I think maybe the church you grew up in where you probably right. didn't talk about that often. Or even just the phraseology of like a spirit of whatever, a yeah. spirit of jealousy, a spirit yeah. of lust, a spirit of anger. Like there's mm-hmm. a spirit of everything, mm-hmm. which it's unclear like, whether people mean that literally or right. that's just a, an expression of like, there's a general mm-hmm. sense of this. Mm-hmm. And just the whole like um, language of the Lord freeing you from your strongholds and all of that being kind of wrapped within the same thing is it might be the devil who has like a foothold in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is why you're acting the way that you're acting. Um, so that language was always very common, but to actually see somebody acting in some kind of a way and then the leaders within the church labeling that as demon possession, that was also always very like alarming to me mm. as I was watching it happen and watching it unfold. Yeah, And because now flash, flash forward and um, the way that those people were probably acting, I've seen similar people acting that are usually like homeless on the street. Right. Who are dealing with some uh, who mental are dealing health. with mental health issues um, or are under some kind of substance abuse. Right. So usually a combination of the both. both. Yeah. Um, so to say, were these people within my church actually demon possessed or were they maybe struggling with mental health issues or even substance abuse or all of the above. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
Yeah. So without condoning uh, these folks in these deliverance ministries who are saying that, you know, autism is from a demon, um, I did want to take a look at some of the relevant New Testament passages that are about healing and also about demon possession because they're in there and we believe that they're authentic. Um, but we want to kind of see like, like if there are demons out there, um, obviously I don't think being neurodivergent means you're demon oppressed. Um, but that doesn't mean that demon oppression doesn't exist. Um, so I want to dive into some of the relevant scriptures of that and kind of grapple with that, but we'll do that in just a moment. Okay, so again, without condoning the mess of these deliverance preachers accusing children on the spectrum of being demon-afflicted, I did want to take a look at uh, the New Testament, and particularly the healing ministry of Jesus, uh, because there are a number of occasions in which Jesus casts demons out uh, that are afflicting people, uh, and actually so do his disciples after him. And just a couple of examples right off the top. Uh, in Luke 8, Jesus casts uh uh, many demons out of a single man who calls himself Legion. Uh, and this guy would run around naked in the wilderness outside of the city, freak people out. And uh, casting out the demons uh, brought him back to his right mind. And uh, in Luke 11, Jesus casts out a demon from a man who was unable to speak. And then it says that his tongue was loosened and he was able to speak again. In Mark 9... Uh, Jesus casts out a demon from a young man who was apparently experiencing something to like what we would understand as like epileptic seizures. Um, and then he was healed after that demon was cast out of him. And then there are many other times in the gospel accounts where it just kind of generally says that Jesus went about healing people and casting out demons. So this was kind of like something that he was regularly doing, that there were these these evil spirits, personified individual uh, demon spirits that he was casting out or uh, ascending away from someone whom they were oppressing. Uh, but then there are other times when Jesus healed and there were no demons mentioned and there were no demons present and there was nobody uh, afflicting this person. They just had an ailment. Uh, so a couple of examples of that was when Jesus healed the paralytic man who was lowered through the roof by his friends. There was no demon mentioned there uh, in his ailment. Jesus healed a blind man, uh, and there was no demon there. Um, and that, that's an interesting story in John where uh, they asked, because like, this guy was born uh, blind, and, and the, the teachers of the law, they're like assuming that his parents must have uh, committed some type of heinous sin to deserve the fact that their son was born blind or like, or did he commit a sin like in his, when he was in the womb that would cause him to be blind. And Jesus is like, it doesn't work that way. And he heals this guy and gives him sight. Uh, and there's no demon present in that. Uh, another kind of, you know, example that you might just gloss over. Cause I think it's only a couple of verses long is when Jesus healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law of a really bad fever. Uh, she was, uh, laying in bed and, uh, everybody was hungry and she had like 105 th fever and, uh, Jesus went in and he, it says he helped her get out of bed and then her fever was gone and she started, uh, cooking food for everybody and, uh, cause they were hungry. Uh, but there was no demon there. There was no demon mentioned, and uh, it's striking because wherever there is a demon, the demon is mentioned. And so the absence of that means that uh, there were there were certain times when Jesus was healing somebody, and it was just the demon that was causing that ailment, and then other times it was just they just had an ailment. So it stands to reason, if Jesus' ministry is any indicator, that sometimes when people are physically afflicted, 
it is the result of some kind of demonic presence that is torturing them or oppressing them. But then there are other times when they're sick or afflicted, and it's just because we are in a fallen world. And so my question to you, Tamara, uh, the $20,000 question is, but how do we know which is which in our own time so that we we recognize a demonic presence, but we don't go around acting a fool and calling everything a demon when you just have a cold? Uh, yeah, so there's actually a checklist you can walk through when you meet a person. There's a <sighs> list of questions you can ask them, and depending on how they answer them. To whom am I know, speaking? Yeah. <laughs> exactly and if they say i am legion then that's then that's, that's a, a good that's indicator that's probably a good indicator but maybe not but probably uh yeah so uh all joking aside we don't know <laughs> like the reality is we truly don't know and um i would certainly lean on the side of they are not demon possessed just as a default as a default so that wouldn't be my first assumption about somebody if they're um acting in any kind of way or they're dealing with any kind of an ailment that is anything other than a quote unquote a standard uh way of living right because that's Mm -hmm. also something else is what is our um measure of an ailment you know what i mean like, what is it that I, if I see you acting a kind of a way or you telling me about something, like, is that truly an ailment that might mean you're demon possessed? Like, or is it just mean, like you said, you have a cold? Right. Uh, so I first would just operate under they are not demon possessed. Mm-hmm. That's probably a really good starting point. Um, and then from there, like, as you are in contact with this person, like, if you are sensing something else, like that needs to be something that's not coming from you, but um, hopefully like the Holy Spirit is urging that within you. And then tread very carefully mm-hmm. is is my thinking behind that because uh, we certainly shouldn't be operating within our world as if um, there are no demonic presence within our world. Like the scripture is clear about that. And it's easy for us in the Western world to kind of push that aside. I, I don't think it's as commonly pushed aside within other parts of the world. Right. Um, but certainly within our world and all of the uh, advancements and medication and science, uh, it's easy to just write a lot of it off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we need to not do that either. But for that to be our first assumption, we can do more harm than we can good if we're automatically assuming someone is demon possessed. Yeah. So when it comes to just an awareness of the spiritual and spiritual realities kind of being part of our physical world, like what do you think are some indicators that we're overemphasizing that or some indicators that we're underemphasizing that? And how do we like find balance in that, I guess, um, when we are just interpreting things that are, you know, happening around us and we see the ways in which the world is broken? Like how can we, you know, discern why that is um, without being, you know, functionally deistic but also not seeing demons in every shadow yeah so if somebody took your parking spot that you were waiting for and they took it instead like they're they had probably, a spirit of covetousness yeah 
Like they're probably not demon possessed, you know, like as I'm dealing with my two year old who might be, he might be. (laughs) Um, But those are real scenarios that people can start to believe into. um, Oh, like the devil is at work here uh, in my life. Or if just things aren't going according to plan, like it must be the devil at work. It couldn't possibly be anything else. Uh, Like there's just this reminder that we live in a fallen world and it doesn't necessarily mean that. Um, the devil is uh, working in each individual iso- isolated in situation because remember, like the devil is not like God. He cannot be everywhere. He does not know everything. He is not capable of the things that God is capable of. So oftentimes when we start to live our lives as if we're seeing the devil around every corner, we're giving him way too much credit. Like we're giving him more power than he actually has. It is only God who is um, the one who knows all things and is everywhere at all times and um, can see all things like the devil doesn't have that kind of power. And uh, it's in good for us to be aware of that. But also the devil needs to be left in the place that he is in and given um, not given more power because we think he's around every corner. Yeah, I mean, I would probably say, and what you're saying is important because uh, people tend to think of the devil as the equal opposite of Jesus Christ, which is absolutely not true because you're talking about the distinction between Mm -hmm. the creator and a created thing. Um, At the same time, the devil is a lot more powerful than us, but he's not omnipresent. And so um, my guess is that I have never been afflicted by the devil himself. Uh, if no. I had to guess, um, because he's probably going after people who are, are do, doing more uh, consequential things in uh, the world uh, than I am, who have much more you know further reach than I have. But I'm sure that there have been some evil spirits in the legion of fallen angels that uh, have twisted things in a certain way. Um, yeah, so I would say un- unless you're like you know, Billy Graham level ministry or you're a world leader. I don't know that you've probably ever encountered the devil personally. You might have. I don't know. But that's just a, just my general thought on on that. Um, but a lot of times and but I think a lot of times when we talk about like, oh, it's the devil, like we we understand that we're speaking in terms of like the demonic and the legion of evil spirits that are are there. Um, one thing I think of is like when uh like it could be like small things that people like bring up like, oh, like the devil must have known that I had that job interview uh, today because I slept and now I have a crick in my neck. Whenever I hear something like that, my first response is always to be like, yeah, but did it like is that or do you just have a crick in your neck? Um, it Like, what do you what do you think about that? Because my immediate response is always cynical. Like, is there room for me to be like a little bit more open to that? Or like, what's your thought when you hear stuff like that? So um, let's like remember what the goal of the devil is. It It's not just to make you have a bad day. Like he has a, a bigger agenda than disrupting your day and giving you like a pain in your neck. Uh, literally or figuratively <laughs> um but we have three yeah figurative ones exactly. in our house so uh the goal of the devil is to keep back the advancement of the kingdom of god that is what he is putting his energy and his efforts in so whenever there are like really big things that like churches or ministries or groups of people are like on the cusp of doing for the kingdom of god and then all of a sudden you see these like 
great number of devastating events that are happening to those groups of people, hmm. I very much believe that the the devil is at work in, in some of those pieces because he can see you're on the verge of advancing the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Now, is it just that, you know, you're, you're going to a, a job interview and now he wants you to have a bad day and not get the job? Like, that is not what's happening. But I do think there is... Um, something happening when the people of God come together and they can sense redemption is on the rise. They can sense renewal is on the rise all in the name of Christ. Do you think the devil is like doing what he can to stop that from happening? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And I think it's important for us to see that and see like, okay, we're not going to like start shouting out to the devil, like stop doing all these things, but be aware what is happening and why are these events taking place? Um, and again, if it's because what's happening is on the verge of like kingdom advancement, then it's important for us to have a sensitivity to that, to have a spiritual like awareness to what's happening within our own lives and also within the group's lives. And he oftentimes uses us. Uh, I think there's a really, um, I wouldn't say neat bug, but maybe that's not the best way to describe it. But C.S. Lewis and his screw tape letters Mm -hmm. like that is really interesting uh, to understand the workings of the enemy. Obviously, that is not directly derived from scripture. Like there's a lot of um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Not that he just makes it up, but he it's an imaginative imaginative, yeah, scenario that's happening. Uh, But I do think that something like screw tape letters helps us see into the way um, the enemy might be at work in our lives. But again, his goal is to uh, stop the advancement of the kingdom of God and not just to make sure you have a bad day. Right. Yeah. And I think, uh, I can't remember what movie it was from, but the, the quote goes that the greatest trick uh, the devil ever played was convincing people he didn't exist. Yeah. And um, I think functionally, a lot of times that's just how we operate. And even just like you talk about like gospel advancement, I think just like one small example that we were kind of party to recently is that we're a part of a a church plant uh, launch team. And there was someone who was on the team who was going to be on stage uh, as we were preparing for one of our services, helping uh, leading worship. And uh, that person like the night before, like literally like pulled a muscle and was like in discomfort all night, literally the night before, having not had an issue before that. And um, yeah, like even on, on the team, we're saying like, oh, well, that seems like some kind of like supernatural kind of resistance in terms of like what we're trying to do here. Is, is that how you kind of read the situation as well? Yeah, I mean, certainly. Because, you know, it, you get off your game, you get discouraged, like you, you stop focusing. That seems like something the devil would be have a vested interest in right. when you're at the beginning stage of trying mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Uh, be a gospel presence in a community. Yeah, no, exactly. And oftentimes you see like whole groups of people. Um, I mean, we're just thinking specifically of like our church lunch that we're part of Um and even just praying like, Lord, let us not be opening a new church just for the sake of it. Um, but let this truly be a need within the community that we're being planted in. And uh, just kind of seeing the the lead up to some of the really big like milestone moments for our church 
they were often plagued by like a number of unfortunate events surrounding them. Mm-hmm. And those are always uh, just very interesting to me to kind of keep your spiritual read on like, okay, Lord, what is happening here? Because everyone's just been cruising along and all of a sudden we're about to hit like a milestone of some kind for the kingdom of God, like as we're launching this thing out. And now just the whole team is getting hit by a series of unfortunate events. Is that just um, bad luck? Like, no. Right, Murphy's Law, yeah. Right. Uh, We just need to be sensitive to being aware of what is happening Mm -hmm. in those types of situations. Yeah. Um, What about as it pertains to like uh, mental health? So obviously we um, understand that mental health is a combination of things where, you know, it could be your brain chemistry, it could be the the life season you're in, it could be your hormones. It's just like a a combination of things that could cause uh, some kind of mental health struggle. Uh, At what point do we consider that uh, it could be uh, an attack from the enemy that's that's pushing you into uh, a state of crisis with your mental health? Um, I'm not sure about that one. I don't. Um, yeah, I think that's a really interesting question to see. Uh, can the enemy use um, mental health illnesses that have already um, been something that's part of your life? I think so. I think there can be scenarios where that's like heightened or deepened. Um, but I would have a harder time thinking um, because it is a like internal issue in terms of like chemical imbalances, hormones, and all that kind of stuff um, that maybe all of a sudden you're dealing with it just because the devil gave it to you. Mm. Like that I struggle with a little bit more than thinking, can he use something like that that's already part of your life or you've had um, issues with struggling with certain mental health issues? Uh, Can he use that against you? Absolutely. Um, But can he like all of a sudden just give you depression that you've never, ever suffered with depression before. Um, I just have a harder time yeah. wrapping my head around something like that. And as I think about it too, we would want to be careful not to plant an idea in someone else's head who's already, uh, and a lot of times when you're in a mental health crisis, you're not seeing things very clearly. Uh, to then add a, a spiritual element to that could uh, have some type of spiritual trauma to that. But I think if it's someone who's generally um, spiritually healthy, um, but has, uh, like you said, it has dealt with depression or anxiety for like a sustained period of years or maybe their whole life, um, I think it's probably uh, within the realm of possibility and the realm of appropriateness to suggest like, hey, maybe there's some element of this that the enemy is using this against you. Um, and may, like there's obviously, yes, there's there's treatment options, there's medications, there's all those kinds of best practices that you want to be participating in. But hey, like let's not leave out the spiritual element of like this could be the enemy like really harping on you in this particular season in your life. And that's requiring, you know, prayer, uh, you know, for deliverance, you know, in in a truest sense of what that would mean. Um, 
like maybe that's that's an element that you know folks like me who grew up in the non-charismatic space uh there's room for us to expand our understanding and our imagination uh, and just our our capacity to see spiritual realities that are in our our physical world because i just tend to be like pretty just like empirical like oh it's probably you know this situation and that and this chemical imbalance da da da, da and just to be like really like uh, like scientific what we can see right, what we can measure explain it away yeah. yeah and so like even when like someone says like uh you know this could be you know the enemy's influence on this i'm like yeah maybe i guess I, like i have to leave open because i believe that demons are real i have to leave open the possibility but i think even for me personally there's room for me to expand in my terms of my my uh belief in the supernatural, I suppose, and my faith that God is not just an idea, but he's a person and he's interacting with the world in real time. Yeah, and that makes sense. I think uh, what you have just expressed is probably what many um, Western Christians would probably uh, agree with you in, unless they come from um, maybe a more charismatic background. Uh, I think balance needs to be an important part of every believer's life, uh, not viewing everything as an attack from the enemy, but also not trying to explain away every single thing that's happening. Um, because if that's the route we're going, then um, we aren't taking all of Scripture at its word. Right, yeah. And I think even this conversation kind of starts to expand into not just demons, but if demons are real and present and unclean spirits are uh, a force to be reckoned with in our daily lives— uh, in the world, then that also means that, you know, angelic forces are at work. And as followers of Jesus, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that's not just an idea, but that's an actual authority that and a power that we we call upon uh, to combat the presence of the enemy in the world uh, and also just to live a life that is righteous and faith filled. Um, but even like on that side, it can go too far too, like where people are starting to assume authority that maybe hasn't been granted to them or a power that maybe uh, God is not giving to them in that moment. And I think a lot of times um, y- y- it, it manifests itself in like different things that we say, like, uh, and again, like in more charismatic spaces where it's like, I, I declare this over the this situation or uh, when someone says like God told me and I've seen like people say God told me in like really consequential situations like God told me that our church needs to buy a new building and I've also seen it in like inconsequential situations where where I knew someone who they said that God told them what to wear in the morning and that, that, that God picked out their clothes for them and so people are seem to be really fast and loose with the, the God told me thing um, what do you think are the dangers of that? And is there a legitimate use of saying God told me? Um, yeah, there are <laughs> instantly, I think, all the dangers um, and rather than the legitimacy of it. Uh, be, also, because I've come from a charismatic church and that is certainly something that um, you know, people who had like visions or had seen something or oftentimes it was like God showed me this for your future. And that often like made me feel uncomfortable anyways, especially when 
you know, 10 years down the road, that prophecy was never fulfilled. Right. Um, and so there was like, one specific to God, you, right? Yeah. Did God tell you that or was God wrong? Yeah. Like, I think you, you told me that uh, someone told you that when you got married, because you had lost your mom, that when you got married, that um, you would have a husband whose mother would become your mother and you would have this wonderful, renewed relationship of parents that were there for you in the form of your spouse's parents. And and that didn't happen because I I don't have a relationship with my parents. So right, so it didn't happen. So either the exact opposite happened. Either I married the wrong person, I married somebody God didn't have for me, or that was just not true. And it was just it was you know she probably she had love in her heart, and she had this prayer and this hope for you. Um, But then she assigned it to like God told me. When you say God told me, um, and yeah, yeah, I think weight behind that that has that has. Wait, and I think she took something that could have been very nice and very special. This prayer that this desire for you, um, in that moment that you could look back on and say that was really sweet, and elevated it to a level of authority that was not proper. And now you look back on it and you think, nah, that was bogus. Right. When you maybe wouldn't have said that's bogus, if she framed yeah. it differently and says, yeah. "Here's my heart, I'm, my prayerful desire, my longing for you, because I'm I I feel nothing but love for you." Mm-hmm. And that's where you also see like the spiritual gifts within Acts, particularly like is the gift of prophecy still something that we see today? Or I think so, but have... not in the way of a predictive, right. in a way of a supernatural insight yes. to know what time it is. You know yes. what I mean? Yes. Well, and that's what I was going to say. When it's often, it's more often misused and abused than it is accurately um, exercised. People just want to write off all those gifts and just like in bulk, just like those don't exist anymore because mm-hmm. we have only seen them misused and abused. And it's not because everyone's intentionally doing that. It's just they don't quite view the weight of God told me in in all of its glory, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you, I think of even Old Testament, when God was speaking to people, oftentimes they were terrified. Right. Like you don't see just these like casual, cozy conversations with God. Like they are um, before like a holy God who is directly speaking to them. And the encounter is anything but comfortable. Right. That's so, why even the angels, not yes. let alone God, the angel comes and he says, do not be afraid. The why, the reason why they say that is, is because, because it's, it's absolutely terrifying. terrifying. This right. is the most terrifying mm-hmm. moment of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, just back in regards to your questions of like, God told me like, should we be using that? Should we not? I have never used that because of the fact that I'm not sure God told me that or not, right? Mm -hmm. Like I've prayed for discernment and I've prayed for wisdom, but do I feel the confidence of saying like, this is what God told me versus um, I sense this leading of the spirit to move forward in this way. Um, It's just, if you get that wrong, you get it wrong and you can't retract God told me. You can't say, oh, sorry, God didn't tell me to do that because now it's like burn into flames. Clearly God didn't tell you that, but uh, we shouldn't be fast and loose about saying God told me. Uh, You can absolutely pray for discernment and pray for the leading of the spirit. And you can even say like, in my my prayer, I have sensed the Lord leading me in this way. That is a whole lot um, better than saying God told me. Right. 
As if it was definitive. As if it were definitive. The only thing that we have absolutely definitive that we can all rely on is the word of God. Right. Like that's what God told you. Yes. God told you in written, well now in written form, right? (laughs) The (laughs) word of God that we all um, have access to, thankfully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's an important distinction because to say like, it's dangerous to say God told me is not to discount the fact that a lot of times you do feel like a, a leading or just a, a weight or a conviction. And it's totally healthy to express that. Like I, I feel strongly about this and I can't say for a hundred percent, but I, I feel pretty certain that like, this is God uh, putting something on my heart uh, in this direction. And, um, I think that that's totally valid. And a lot of times that's, you know, something that you can trust. Um, and sometimes it doesn't work out the way you thought it was going to, but then you haven't like blasphemed in the name of God by saying that he said to do this. And then it turned out poorly and like was a complete, you know, train wreck. Mm -hmm. And then you have to come up with like some kind of explanation of what God might be doing. And then you like put a false prophecy on top of a false prophecy. And then you're just in a real mess and you, you shouldn't have been so declarative from the start. Yeah. So, um, I don't know if any of this is helpful to you, uh, dear listener. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's important to, to be reminded of something that in John, first uh, John four uh, one, John warns us to really stay vigilant about other Christians and leaders who claim the name of Jesus, uh, but also claim to have some type of supernatural knowledge or power. And he says this, beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Uh, many false prophets have gone out into the world, but that doesn't necessarily mean that every prophetic voice we encounter is a false prophet. At the same time, though, we have to test everything against what has been revealed in Scripture. And this is just me, but I think it's okay to have a healthy sense of of skepticism to have that be your default mode like maybe that's not you maybe you have the spiritual gift of faith maybe i don't uh but i think if it's your default mode to be a little bit skeptical i think that's okay but even in the midst of that skepticism uh we should never lose sight of the fact that god is more than just an idea uh he's a real person he has moved in the world in real space and time and he's done it time and time again and um if we believe that he is who he is Uh, then we have to believe that he's going to do it again. Thanks for listening to the Kainos Project podcast. Thank you also to our partners at Life Audio. Visit lifeaudio.com to find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in the network, including shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today, consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating and review. And be sure to visit our website, kainosproject.com, for more helpful resources. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Want to learn more about God and his will for your life one verse at a time? I'm Quinise Petway, co-host of the Your Daily Bible Verse podcast. I'm inviting you to tune in and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.